The following is a Frank R. Wilson presentation. Welcome to where we celebrate music from the movies. From the golden age to present day, we've got it covered. We talk to those from the industry and learn about them and their favorite scores. Welcome to What's the Score? I'm your host, Frank R. Wilson. So let's take a look at the shelf of CDs and see what we're going to play today. Recognize that music? It's a piece of music that is a particular favorite of our guest today. He has nearly 100 acting credits to his name. His career spans three decades, and he's appeared in films such as The Butler and as well as TV shows like Grey's Anatomy, The West Wing, and more recently The Purge and Ozark. When he's not acting, he has a thriving coaching practice where he's worked with thousands of students helping them hone their craft. I should know. I was one of them. Uh, he's a family man, a man of faith with a wicked sense of humor. I think you'll really enjoy getting to meet him today. I hope everyone uh, will please join me in welcoming Jim Gleason to the program. Hi, Jim. Oh, thank you, Frank. Uh, the, the, the applause is deafening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I tried to read that introduction just like you wrote it. So, uh, <laughs> I thought it was great. I loved it. I wouldn't change oh, it. Great. Great. Hey, as I usually do on this program, when when we have guests, I always like to learn a little bit about them. So I was wondering if we could start off with you, maybe telling us a little bit about yourself, uh, you know, growing up, family, early career, things of that nature. Sure. Uh, you know, my my dad was an attorney. He was a trial attorney, and my mom always wanted to be a performer. And if you know anything about trial attorneys, they all want to be actors uh, in the <laughs> local community theater. If you here in Covington. If you go see a play, I'm, I can almost guarantee you there's at least one uh, lawyer on the stage. Hmm. So <laughs> I was always uh, in, in fourth grade. I had the lead in the school play, and that was pretty much it. That was what I loved doing. And then um, coming up in junior high and high school, I was in whatever plays were, were produced. And then when I was a senior in high school, I started doing community theater as well. And so when it came time to go to college, I didn't want to be a lawyer like my dad, and I didn't want to be an architect or a business major, a doctor, but I knew I loved acting. So I went ahead and became a theater major at Tulane. And uh, after I graduated, I stayed in town in New Orleans for about 10 years working in film and television when there really was not much. More often than not, I was doing more plays and did a ton of plays, um, had the lead in a few, which was a blast. Mm -hmm. And um, and then in 97, I moved out to uh, Los Angeles and uh, basically started over from scratch. I had about eight or nine credits that were legit credits and the rest were, you know, local commercials. Not that those aren't legit or, um, and, but local non-union stuff, but sure, they're really I understand. out there. They want to know what have you done union? 
you know, and so I was able to join the union before I left, which was a good thing. Um, it's much easier actually to get your union status here than it is uh, to do it when you uh, go out there. I'm sure. I knew people out there that had been out for six or seven years and still weren't able to even get in the union. So that was, a, um, you know, that was a good thing. And in around 2000, I started studying at, a, at an audition school. And the woman uh, who uh, started the school, it was her school, asked me to be an instructor after about a year. So I went on the staff there and I was teaching other actors how to audition while I was still studying myself as an actor in other places and working in film and television myself. Okay. So I was, I I'm sorry. Go ahead. ahead. No, no go, go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> I worked on probably about 35 shows out there. Um, and that doesn't include like national commercials. I had a few of those as well. And I did some other uh, smaller projects that uh, I've just now actually been able to get to my, to my IMDb. But I worked on about 35 shoots or so. 30, between 35 and 40. And then when I was home in, for Christmas in 2010, I met my uh, my now wife. Mm-hmm. So I was, home, I was home in Mandeville and I met my wife. It was informal kind of, if you if you went to the pub, uh, if you went to Mandeville High in the 80s, come out to the pub kind of thing. And I knew who she was because I know her siblings, but um, I'd never really spoken to her. So we had a conversation and that was kind of it. Huh. Now, if I remember right, because we had we had actually had a, a rather unusual connection. You did. Yeah. You grew up in in Ohio, correct? I did spend some time in Ohio. My parents split when I was about eleven. Mm-hmm. We moved to a little town in Ohio called Ripley, which is about an hour outside of Cincinnati on the river. Right. And I was there till uh, I was about seventeen. We came back to Mandeville for my senior year at high school, and I knew your cousins. That's right. Yeah. And they, and and they know you so which was which was really fascinating and I I don't even know how we figured that out but uh, but that was really interesting so so Louisiana Mandeville is part of your uh, your hometown I guess it is one of your hometowns that Ripley I guess okay it is yeah for some reason I had thought the whole time you had grown up in Ohio so that's actually very wow. clarifying to me then that's great yeah well no, now I'm I'm curious when. Was there was there a particular movie or a particular time that you can remember when you started to develop an interest in film music? You know, what started it? Uh, you know, let's see if there's a particular movie that started my interest in film music. Um, no, I've always been kind of aware of film music, and if the film music is great, then of course I, I, I I'm aware of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh. Since your, uh, since I got the impression that your podcast deals mostly with composers, um, I kind of wouldn't include 2001 because it was basically he took some uh, classical music, and I know the story behind it. He actually hired a composer and then didn't That's use right. his music. Yeah, Alex um, North. Right, but um, I guess you know one of the one of the uh, movies that I was aware of. First of all, in 1975, my dad. For some reason, which I think he had a skewed uh, sense of what was appropriate, took all of his kids, which me, me, I was about 11. My brother Shane would have been eight and my brother Ben would have been six to see the movie Tommy, Ken Russell's Tommy. Oh, wow. And so it's it's like pretty trippy. And um, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I just fell in love with that music and I became a big Elton John fan because of that. And the pinball wizard, because he sang that song in the in the movie. Right. So I was aware of that. And then also as kids, we had, my dad had an eight track player 
and there weren't many eight-track cassettes that he had, but he had one that was the soundtrack uh, to uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, ah. the Burt Bacharach score. So I was aware of that. And then as I, as I became an adult, there were certain movies where I was struck by the music. Um, one was Peggy Sue Got Married. Mm-hmm. There's a theme in that that's just to me it just uh, is real uh, beautiful and melancholy. And then, well, and um, we'll and we'll get into those as we uh, as we progress through the program because I know yeah. you've you've mentioned too that are on your list that we're going to play. And you're right, uh-huh. you know it's interesting too because I remember I, I already had an interest in film music, but I remember my parents also having, and it might have been an eight track of, of the score to Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kids. <laughs> I can remember you know hearing that with them. That was one of the few things we kind of shared in common when it came to music. Um, in fact, let's let's go ahead and get into your list here. It's uh, and you chose a, a, a terrific variety of of uh, films and and cues from uh, from different eras of Hollywood, and, and thought we'd probably go ahead and get started with um, uh, the main theme from uh, Planet of Apes. That was one that you had uh, chosen by a composer Jerry Goldsmith. Uh, tell me a little bit about your uh, your thinking of including that on your list. Well, I think it was it it stood out to me because it's very powerful. Uh, it's very, there's a lot of percussion in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the time it was exceedingly unconventional. Uh, you had these trumpets trumpeting and, and, uh, like almost like primitive horns trumpeting and, and almost it sounded like wood, uh, you know, wood knockers knocking together and making noise. And it was unique. Me, yeah. And, and, and I, it's so, and as soon as I hear that music, it, because it doesn't really fit anywhere other, other than that. And so as soon as I hear that music, man, I'm taking I'm taking back to that movie, the images of it and the and the and the, and the sounds of it. Um, and it just because the focus of that movie is. Taylor feels like he's in a chaotic situation over which he has no control. And the music to me is chaotic and seems like you feel that chaos in the music so to me that just really really stood out oh perfect well that that leads us into uh, let's go ahead and have a listen to this this is from the film uh, planet of the apes it's the main theme and it's written by jerry goldsmith Thank you. 
when we were getting ready to uh, uh, to do this, I again I was kind of under the impression that Louisiana wasn't necessarily a part of your early journey. So I'm still going to ask the question though. I'm kind of curious. You're here. You are in Los Angeles, and you're starting to gain um, some traction in your career and having some success. What was your thinking of uh, of relocating from a career standpoint? What was your thinking of relocating to uh, to Louisiana? Well, uh, you know, when I was out there, you get caught up in just trying to keep your head above water and uh, and find your way and, and catch your your credits as you go. Mm-hmm. And that was going going well for me. But around 2003, mm-hmm. 2004, I would go to the movies and see my friends from Louisiana in these feature films. Huh. And most of the work that I did in L.A. was in episodic TV. And I really would like to have done more film work. Mm-hmm. But I just, it just wasn't happening for me out there. But I'd see my friends in these movies and I'd go look at their IMDb and I'd like, look at all these credits these guys are making. You know, and I, I knew when I moved from Louisiana to go out there that I was going to be a because I was kind of a I don't want to sound egotistical, but I was kind of a big fish. People knew who I was here in a small pond before I moved. And I knew mm-hmm. when I moved out there, I'd be a minnow in the ocean again. And I was fine with that. But I thought. Well, if there's all this opportunity, I'd rather go back and be the big fish because because California never felt like home to me. Plus, I have a daughter from a previous marriage who's handicapped. So I would come home three or four times a year anyway while I was living in L.A. Mm-hmm. And it always felt like I'm going home. I'm living in L.A., but Louisiana's home. So around 2005, I was thinking I'm, I'm I was mentally preparing to move back to home because it was so booming. Uh, uh, and and it's kind of nice that it coincided with um, I can't recall when did the tax credit start to, in, 2002. In the beginning? Okay. 2002. So this is about 3 years after they were in place and so I was in 2005 I was ready to move back home but Katrina hit and I was like okay I'm a man of faith and I was like okay God wants me to stay in in Los Angeles for now that's fine. And I did. And then um five, around 5 years later of course it ramped back up and and as I mentioned, I, I was at home in 2010 and, you know, I had my daughter here and I realized I, I couldn't find anyone to share my life with out there. Not because I'm not judging anybody, but the people that I met, either they ended it or I ended it. <laughs> so and I knew I couldn't afford to buy a house out there unless I really yeah. hit it super big and I was ready to be a homeowner. And then I came home and my friends were still working like crazy. And I met my wife, Lydia, and I was like, well. Like, why stay in L.A. when everything I want is here and I could I could open my own studio here, which I which I did. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it was God's plan. There was no doubt about it. I mean, it just kind of worked out the way it was supposed to. So that's, did, that's great. Did. Yeah. Great story. And actually, if I had moved home in 2005, I wouldn't have been able to marry my wife. Um, yeah. So. I mean, it, it is funny when you look back over your life and you, you think about some of the trials and tribulations and the mountains and valleys and those sorts of things they they all they all played a purpose in getting you where you are today and yeah, even though it didn't time, seem like it at the time yeah at the time you're thinking oh no this is the worst thing and then you look back and you look back in, in hindsight and go man i'm glad that happened yeah yeah <laughs> well it's interesting on your the the first choice you made you talked about the chaos and those sorts of things this next cue we're going to play kind of connotes that too i actually have an interesting story about this movie too but i i don't i don't know if i'll tell it but um <laughs> You had uh, you had chosen American Beauty, written by Thomas Newman. 
Yeah. Uh, I was going to play the main theme from that that uh, that opens the film. And tell us a little bit about your uh, reasoning for having that on your list. Well, uh, I think that one of the themes of that movie is uh, loneliness. Mm -hmm. You know, Uh, and, you know, he's in a marriage. The main character is in a marriage that is a loveless marriage and he misses what he used to have with his wife and the little girl. Their daughter feels like she doesn't fit in and she meets a misfit guy and they sort of come fall together. And even the popular girl feels like she is unloved and unwanted or alone. And so this theme of loneliness through the whole movie uh, is very powerful. Um, I've felt like that in my lifetime. And uh, the, I think that, the, that Thomas Newman really captured that. Mm. Um, that that feeling of loneliness in his themes and in this in the manner in which he composed and played this music and arranged it, you know. Um, so it just really stood out to me. And, and I realized after that movie, how many other movies that I enjoyed that I was moved by the music. I went back and looked and wow, he's done all this, all that stuff. It makes perfect sense. Now I hear it. I hear his style and I and I hear everything. And, and that's one of the reasons I like this movie, and that's one of the reasons I like that movie. And, yeah. and now it makes sense. So it, it that movie alerted me to Thomas Newman, who was one of my favorites. Yeah, I had I had the kind of the same uh, experience when I saw Ascent of a Woman. I said, I've heard this kind of style before. Where have I heard that? And you know, and then it became obvious that yeah, it was Thomas Newman and American Beauty. Well, let's let's have a listen to this. This is the. Uh, uh, I, I, when we get finished with the program, I'll tell you about my experience with the movie. It is kind of interesting. But let's uh, let's have a listen to the main theme from the film American Beauty, and it's written by Thomas Newman.
when I was looking at your uh, your IMDb page, uh, it really is an impressive list of credits. And you're right, a lot of episodic TV in there, but also a lot of you know high profile films as well. I'm kind of curious: is has there been one that's stood out that has been your uh, your favorite, or maybe the one that you're most proud of? You know, having a chance to play in in that particular show or role. I get asked that a lot, uh, and it's kind of hard to pick a favorite. Um, the the Grey's Anatomy episode I did posed challenges that I was not prepared for, and I rose to those challenges. So, mm-hmm. and I felt like I did great. So, and I had to sort of really react on the fly, and let's, that's the short version. Um, but Grey's Anatomy posed a physical challenges that i wasn't really prepared for because i'm supposed to be operating on a patient Mm -hmm. and in the audition i didn't have to actually do it when i got there i had to do it and i wasn't Mm -hmm. prepared for it so i rose pretty pretty i was pretty happy about the way i rose to that occasion um you know uh uh, lee daniels the butler stands out to me it's one it's the first feature i booked when i moved back home Uh, i actually worked six weeks on that movie i got a chance to uh, talk music with lenny kravitz um, I got a, I was able to get my picture taken with Robin Williams, which was wonderful. Mm. I, I, I met this uh, actor named Coleman Domingo, who uh, I spent a lot of time with Coleman. Uh, and Coleman is one of the regulars on Fear the Walking Dead. His career has really taken off. And he's just a really, really good person. So I was really pleased to meet him on that. And then um, that movie paid for my wedding, my honeymoon, and the down payment on my house. So, <laughs> you know, that's a good thing. And, and and probably still helping to pay for a few things, right? It but does the, from time to time. It actually every once in a while I'll go, oh wow, look at this. Thank you, yeah. thank you, Lee Daniels. <laughs> um, and what a fabulous film to be associated with too. It sounds to me like you just, especially because of the length of time that you worked on it, you were able to establish a lot of really meaningful and lasting relationships with you know cast and crew. Yeah, I'm still in touch with Coleman uh, on the internet and. Uh, and I've had the opportunity to audition for Fear of the Walking Dead. I would love to work on that show. And um, actually, there's another actress on it now, Maggie Grace, who early in my career, I did an episode of Cold Case with her. And so working on that show would be a, a delight. Yeah, well, you know, things things can still happen. Um, I, I always have fun when I listen to some of the, the cues that people uh, want to play. And... Uh, before our interview today, I, uh, I, pl- I played this next one, and I had forgotten how much, and it affects me to the point where, you know, I got goosebumps at one point. Uh, mm-hmm. and I'm talking about the the film Close Encounters, oh. uh, written by John Williams. I was going to play basically the end credits because that, that kind of uh, captures some of the, the main themes from the film. And why don't you tell us a little bit about your uh, wanting to have that on your on your list of favorites? Well... I love John Williams. Uh, pretty much anybody who loves movies does. Yeah. Because uh, he's such a great composer. And th- the themes that he writes are so uh, memorable and they're so timeless. They le- they, they span generations. I, even, even to this day, I'll be walking around and I'll start humming either one or both of the themes from Lost in Space that he wrote um, <laughs> from back in the 60s. He wrote both of those themes. They had two themes. And um, that was when he was known as Johnny Williams. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And they're both great themes. And so I wanted to pick one and I wanted to um, pick one that isn't overused, you know, mm-hmm. uh, 
because you could go, oh, Star Wars, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Superman. They're all brilliant. They're all amazing. Um, but Close Encounters, I love. It's probably my sentimental favorite Spielberg movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I don't think maybe it's not his best movie, but I just I just love that movie immensely. Uh, I think Richard Dreyfuss is great in it. Yeah. And, and, you know, Williams has a way of, of writing music that just uh, it just is that movie. It's the spirit of the movie. Yeah. And so, you know what I mean? And, and uh, essentially, uh, you know, in that movie, at one point. Dreyfus tries to convince his kids to go to the movies to see Pinocchio, which they're re- releasing in the theaters, and the kids don't want to go. And, you know, one of the things Dreyfus said was to, to Spielberg, I should play this role because it's the guy is a child. He's a, he's a child at heart. He's willing to believe. And it's just an, it's a great film, and the music blends itself perfectly. Yeah, and I, and I also read uh, that when they were coming up with that, uh, with the notes or whatever to communicate uh-huh. that they, they, right. they wanted to limit it to five because they didn't want it to be all of a sudden become a melody, which I thought was really kind of interesting. Uh-huh. And, uh, they had some mathematician that they, uh, that they hired on and they said there was something like 200,000 possible combinations of, <laughs> of only five notes, but what he came up with uh, really works. I mean, you, you can't help, but when you hear that, you know, instantly where it's from. Right. Well, let's, um, yeah, let's play this. This is, uh, basically the end title, uh, music from the film close encounters of the third kind. And it's written by the maestro John Williams. Thank you. 
You've had an opportunity to play a lot of different uh, characters, although I and I do know that sometimes, you know, kind of like with me, me in my career, too, it's like you always get pigeonholed into certain types of roles but just be, based on your look and that sort of thing. But I'm what I'm curious about. Are, th- are there are there any roles or types of roles that are out there that you would like to play but haven't had the opportunity to do yet? Yeah. Um, you know, one role archetype that I, uh, am really have always been drawn to is, uh, the sort of Hitchcockian everyman where you've got a normal guy who basically has good moral compass and always tries to do the right thing. And he gets caught up in, uh, a situation that's completely out of his control. Um, and, uh, and I like the idea of not being, I mean, if you look at, for instance, North by Northwest, Cary Grant is an ad executive. Yeah. He's not, he's not a, you know, cop. He's not a, you know, when you look at a movie like Die Hard, it's essentially that he's thrust into an unmanageable situation, but he's a cop. So he's got a little bit of a, a, a firm footing from which to work. I like the idea of playing a guy who's completely in over his head, like Jimmy Stewart in, in Rear Window or Vertigo. Um and someone who everybody can identify with. Uh, that's the kind of role I would, I would love to play. Yeah. Um, and yet, and what do you typically, I think you're probably kind of like me. Is it usually like lawyer, doctor, politician, that sort of thing? Is that what yeah. you tend to get? Yeah. Usually someone who's, you know, better educated than the average person. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually a professional. Sometimes I play a pastor or a priest. Sometimes I play doctor or lawyer. Um, I've played prosecutor, I've played defense, uh, pay, you know, it's just um, usually someone who uh, comes from a middle to upper middle uh, socioeconomic background. I've played politicians, so yeah. that's, usually what I, that's usually what I play. I'd love to play a little more, and I do dad too. I play dad from time to time. Yeah, there's a part of me that would, have you ever thought about, you know, really changing your look? I mean, I'm sure you would for a part, but I mean, I wonder... You know, if you had like a full beard or something like that, if that would change the perception of you and and, and get you other types of roles. I don't know. I never really thought about it. Yeah. Um, I guess it's possible. I don't really grow facial hair very well. (laughs) It doesn't come in full. It looks more like I'm homeless. (laughs) Well, there's another part you could play, I guess. Yeah, exactly. um, you, uh, you, You chose another classic uh cue here that i just absolutely love and i it's kind of interesting too because that has it has a louisiana connection as well um uh, bill conti is a mm. is a graduate of lsu is uh, he yeah yeah you, uh, i don't i i'm trying to remember if it was a bachelor or master's or whatever but yeah he's he's a graduate of lsu and uh, uh and i think really his first major break was this film that you chose and probably everybody can anticipate which one I'm talking about. And that's the main theme from, uh, from Rocky. Yeah. Just iconic. I mean, you can't, uh, how many ways that theme has been used in popular culture is just uh, staggering. Mm-hmm. Uh, let, let me, uh, let me explore that with you. What was it uh, that got you to want to include that in your list? You know, there was a time and you can, you can empathize with me here, Frank, mm-hmm. when, when we only had three network channels and <laughs> you know, there weren't, and the internet didn't exist and there were only certain outlets for uh, popular culture. 
And there was a time in the 70s when a lot of times if there was a popular movie or television series, the theme to that movie or TV series would actually end up as a top 40 hit. Yeah. Um, the theme from Taxi was one. Uh, mm. The theme from Happy Days was one. Um, let's see what else. The theme from SWAT was a big hit. Yeah. And, and this got played on the radio all the time. And I think it's a testament to how great it is. And what an impact that movie Rocky made on culture because on popular culture, because people loved it because it reminded them of the way the movie made them feel. And it is exceedingly uplifting, especially as is the main it's it's a song. And when you come to the end of that, it it uplifts. It, it ends with this great crescendo, um, which is very powerful. And of course, from the movie, it's when he's he's running through the streets of Philadelphia and he goes to the top of the steps and he right. puts his hand up, hands up in the air. Because he's ready to have the fight, and he's he's prepared. And um, I I read once because I, I I forget how I I think I had an I think I had the album I had the album soundtrack to that movie at one point. And I was reading Stallone's comments, and he said something like, um, "This music blew me away. I loved it, blah blah." And then I realized, of course, Bill Conti's Italian, and I, was, I always thought that was funny. <laughs> And, um, and it's interesting, too, because it was uh, yeah, I can't remember the actual numbers, but it, by film score standards, it was a relatively small orchestra. Yeah. That, uh, put out this this huge, big sound. And you reminded me, too, that that both of us can probably relate to this, that, you know, before the Internet, shoot, before VHS and DVDs and everything else, the only way you could really relive a movie was to, to listen to the soundtrack and it would take you back to that movie because you couldn't just pop it into the machine or, or click on it on the internet or something. That was the only way you could really relive the movie unless it got re-released yeah. in the theater. So, uh, but that's great the way that you described that. You're right. It was, it was a huge hit on the radio. And so you mm -hmm. couldn't almost uh, go a day without hearing it. Mm -hmm. Well, instead of talking about it, let's go ahead and play it then. It is, uh, it is a, a classic, piece of film music you know, this is from the film rocky it's the main theme and it's written by lsu alum bill conti
I found it interesting that you mentioned when you were in Los Angeles that you had uh, started to help out at a uh, uh, at a at a teaching facility. Mm-hmm. I guess you were asked, but I mean, did you did you what kind of prompted you to get get interested in that? And did you feel like, well, yeah, I I could teach others how to do this. I'm good enough at it now because that's you know it takes I think it takes a lot of guts to be able to uh-huh. jump into something like that. Well, um, I guess in a way it could be conceived as a personality plus or a personality flaw, but I've always been very strongly opinionated. Not not that I'd uh, like to enforce my opinion on others, but I'm always I've always been very sort of uh, excited to express my opinion about certain things. Mm-hmm. So when I was a student. Um, where I was studying, I was in the master class and we'd watch each other's work and we'd watch someone else's work. And the way that uh, the instructor had it set up is she'd stop the tape and ask the class for their opinions first, and then she would give her opinions. So I was the person who always sort of opined first, if you will. (laughs) And so she asked me to be an instructor there and I said, well, sure. And she said, you know, I've been watching you in class and you always speak first, and I always watch to see what your opinions are before you hear anybody else. Wow. And she said, that's why I think that you can do this job. And so I never had a desire to teach, although I will say this, when I was living in Los Angeles, I, I mean, excuse me, when I was living in Louisiana, I took a commercial workshop, and I thought, I could do this. I could do what that, that, that dude did. Mm-hmm. And so I actually uh, orchest- organized and held one uh, commercial workshop on my own before I ever moved out to LA. And so, got, yeah, so it goes back quite a ways then when yeah. you're, you're starting to, to do this kind of work. Yeah. yeah. It was only when she asked me if I wanted to do it that I said yes. And then, so I felt like I can do this and sort of fell into it. I guess I was lucky. God opened that door for me and I, I walked through. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, what a, what a supreme compliment yeah. to, uh, uh, to you as well, that, that she saw that, saw that skill in you that's uh that's exceptional that's neat um you had mentioned this earlier i wanted to uh to play one of the themes from a great movie that i'm actually ashamed to say i don't think i've ever seen it and that's uh, butch cassidy and the sundance kid mm. by a fabulous composer that i've always liked uh bird backrack uh, tell me a little bit about you know, your love affair with that film i mean you already mentioned that you used to listen to it as a kid, but is there a particular reason why you would have chosen that one? Well, I've always loved Burt Bacharach's uh, music. I mean, I think that the signature of a true artist is that you can hear their music or see one of their films or see one of their pieces of art or see their painting. And before anyone tells you who it is, you know who it is. Mm. And so that's the case for me with Burt Bacharach. I can hear a Burt Bacharach song without uh, it's performed by another person like a Dionne Warwick. And I can tell by this tone and the song structure that that's Burt Bacharach. And so I've always admired that artistry. And as I mentioned, when I was a kid, we had this sound eight track soundtrack and I would, I, I loved listening to music as a kid. Um, so I would listen to that over and over and over. And then the movie itself is so much fun. I mean, Paul Newman and Robert Redford are so charming together. Mm-hmm. And um, and then, of course, Elizabeth uh, 
uh, no, what's her name? Uh, Catherine uh, Ross. Catherine Ross, yes. Cap is just gorgeous. I mean, as a kid, I was like, wow, she's really pretty. <laughs> and um, the other supporting characters, the supporting cast are so much fun. Um, and, and and yet, I mean, it, 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 it's a Western, but it, it it's not a typical, you know, Western score it, it, by any stretch. No. It's very <laughs> 60s, really, with the parts that I've heard, you know. Yeah, it is very uh, 60s, early 70s. And um, and there's a lot of great themes in it. Um, and then, of course, it had a huge hit on the radio with Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head. Uh, did BJ that win Tom. the Oscar? I, I, it may have. I wouldn't be surprised if it did. Yeah, because I was wondering about that. Yeah, and that's that's a fabulous song that's associated with it as well. You know, Backrack's kind of interesting. Yeah, I think he's one of the few people that's been a film composer that also had a very uh, very successful career as just a you know a songwriter in popular culture. Yeah. Uh, so he's kind of unique in that regard. And uh, mm-hmm. and to my knowledge, I think you know he's he's up there in years, but I think he still occasionally still performs. It's quite amazing. Well, let's yeah. let's have a listen to this. There were a lot of things that we could have chosen, but I basically chose what is uh, uh, thought of as the main theme from Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. It's a lot of fun, and uh, it will it will really give you a feel for the. For the 1960s, 70s sound, uh, as well as kind of uh, how the movie played out. And we'll listen to that right now. And that's, again, written by Bert Bacharach.
So you you move back to um, Louisiana, mm-hmm. and instead of having the uh, what's the word I'm trying to think of, instead of having the security blanket of someone else having a, a an actor studio in order to conduct classes, you decide to dive in and and do it yourself <laughs> on your own. Um, was you just I mean, did you find you just enjoyed it so much that you wanted to continue that work? Well, I I. After the first six and a half years that I taught, I taught in Los Angeles for the studio where I was a student. And then after about th- after that time, I stayed in L.A. and taught for three and a half on my own. So I had already oh, okay. on my own in Los Angeles and done my own thing because I had, you know, contacts and I had people that were sort of loyal to me. And so for the last three and a half years that I was there, that was my quote unquote day job. And I became very and even when I was working at the studio, it wasn't like um, I would report to my boss all the I was kind of left to do my own thing mm. under the umbrella of that and make sure that I taught what she taught. But as far as, you know, finding materials for class and as far as, uh, you know, what I did, I was somewhat independent. And then for the three and a half years that I did my own thing, I was obviously exceedingly independent. And it created a mindset of mine that I I wanted to be independent. So when I moved home, I knew there was a need for Los Angeles training in Louisiana. And I was with an agent when I moved home who 
uh, recommended that her clients study with me and uh, and oh, I was wow. blessed by that. And that sort of got the ball rolling. I, and I had saved up a pretty big uh, nest egg for when I moved home. So I was able to transition very comfortably. Um, and then over time, there were times when it's been difficult, especially in 2016, 2017, when the industry took a downturn because of the tax incentive law being changed. Right. But, um, but I've always just kind of done, you know, my own thing. And, uh, and I guess I, I might not, I, I'm a team player. And if I was in a team situation, I would absolutely be a team player. But when I have the, op- the option of either being my own boss or working for somebody else, I've always chosen my own boss. Sure. Yeah. And yet, and, and I, I guess when you started, there was very little, if any, types of uh, resources like that available to uh, to actors i take it yeah there are a couple other uh working actors in town who also teach classes but nobody to my knowledge really does that year round mm. like okay this is the spring six week class or that's this is the way these other folks tend to do it where they teach for a while they'll take a break and come back and take a break and come back but my my classes are ongoing well, what I found interesting about your class and, 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 and where I wanted to focus a lot of my efforts, uh, and this is you know, for the general audience, if, uh, if you're interested in that, is that to me, there really are two different, two major components to acting. There is acting on set when you're in, you're in, uh, in costume and, you know, everything is kind of like what the atmosphere is supposed to be. And then there's auditioning, which I find to be really different and, and far more difficult than after you've gotten the gig. And I think, don't you mostly focus on the, the auditioning aspect and the skills for that? Yeah. Um, I know, mean, they do translate to, 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 to other situations, but but the primary focus, I guess, would be auditioning. Yeah. The philosophy is really camera acting. Um, any like The stuff that you, know, you and I worked on together, Frank, you could take that, you could apply it to, uh, actually, not even just camera, you could apply it you could apply it to any kind of acting you do, whether it's stage or screen. Mm. But the way that it's presented in class is through the audition situation. So because they're, you're correct, they're, it does require more of your imagination. It does require more of your uh, preparation when you audition. Um, and there's a certain skill set that is unique to auditioning that you don't necessarily use when you book the role. Um, so what what you what I use class to do is to uh, create these skills so that they are second nature um, for when you audition. Because if you don't do that, you're not going to be as prepared when you need them. Yeah. And mostly what you do as an actor is audition. Um, I would love to say that mostly what you do is work, but usually for the for the for the average actor, especially in this market, you'll audition more than you do anything else. Yeah, that's almost more your job mm-hmm. is auditioning as opposed to actually being on set and and, uh, and working it. But, uh, yeah. yeah, you're exactly right. Um, you have incredible taste, Jim, because the, the, <laughs> the next the next cue that you chose is also a, another great favorite of mine. And, uh, uh, I, again, I, I hate to repeat myself, but it's iconic. I mean, it's just it, it, it spawned its own cartoon. I mean, it, uh, it, it on top of being part of a film score, and I'm talking about the uh, uh, the movie Pink Panther, written oh, yeah. by Henry Mancini. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about choosing that one for your list of favorites? 
Sure. You know, as a kid, I saw, of course, I saw the Pink Panther cartoons and I heard that theme, that famous iconic theme. Right. And, um, and you know, uh, he also, if I'm not mistaken, did the music for the Odd Couple television series, if not the movie. Um, and so he's he's a jazz guy. Yeah. And and, you know, I wanted to have a when I sent you the list, I wanted to pick from uh, varied uh, a variety of, of styles. Mm-hmm. And. I also always remember as a kid wanting to love the Pink Panther movies more than I actually love them because I love the music. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I wanted to, I wanted the movie to be as fun as listening to the music. And as a, as a kid, I, of course, Peter Sellers, while I understood what he was doing, it, it was kind of lost on me a bit uh, because I think you have to be a little more, uh, you know, uh, mature to understand that humor um, to really get it. And, uh, and, but that, that theme is so fun. Um, and uh, some of the changes and the, and the time signature is fun. And, and uh, that, that saxophone cuts through. Oh, it's just great. Um, yeah, it is great. So uh, I just, uh, and it's interesting. It. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, when I think about it. I mean, that's what Blake Edwards and uh, the director and Henry Mancini teamed up on so many films. It's kind of like a, uh, just like you uh, would see with uh, John Williams and Steven Spielberg. It's interesting how sometimes directors get just connect really well with a composer and they don't want anyone else working on their films. And this is an example of one of them. I don't know if Blake, well, I know of one movie that Blake Edwards did but that he didn't use uh, Mancini, but, uh, but by and large, it was always, they were joined at the hip most of the time. Let's uh, let's have a listen to this. This is uh, you no doubt will recognize it. This is the uh, the main theme from the film The Pink Panther, and it's written by Henry Mancini. Thank you. 
I, I know you've mentioned that you've worked with uh, literally thousands of, of different actors um, in your uh, in your teaching your coaching practice. I'm curious. Are there other than me, of course, are there a, a couple of people that you're particularly proud of because they've gone on to really great <laughs> things? Um, that was a joke. Uh, anybody that you're particularly proud of because they've, you know, they have really succeeded and, and you take a little bit of pride maybe in thinking that you may have helped them along the way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, there was an actress, uh, who I worked with when she was very, she was about 19. Her name is Ashley Green and she went on to success with the Twilight movies. And I've seen her in other features that she's been in as well. One specifically, uh, movie of, about the, the music club in in New York, CBGB. Um, she played uh, the main character's daughter. Uh, the main character is played by Alan Rickman. Oh, okay. Who I love. And so he played Hilly Bernard. I think the guy's name is Hilly Bernard. I might be wrong. Um, but she's an excellent actress. And I knew she was cute. She was attractive. She was uh, full of energy. And I knew if she had the right opportunities that she could she could have some success. And she did. Um, another, uh, actress that I worked with, Angela Johnson, um, who actually has a real strong Christian faith, but, um, she is Hispanic and you may know her from, she, she hit it big as the character Bon Quiqui, who, uh, is quite funny on Mad TV. And then oh, now okay. she's, she does a lot of stand up and one of her famous, uh, one, and a lot of ladies, if they're listening to this, will remember her. She does a bit about getting her nails done in a nail salon and it's very funny. And Angela, I knew immediately, uh, who was another one of those who has that charisma and has that ability. And she and was really quick witted. And if she applied herself, she could have success. And she has. Um, I just actually uh, sent a birthday wish to one of my former L.A. students. His name is um, Christian. And uh, he is an African-American actor and he uh, he has done very well. And he thanked me. He says, I'm crushing auditions now based on what you taught me. And this was earlier in my career when I was still, you know, still growing as an instructor. So when when, when someone says something like that, I, I really uh, I really uh, am, am blessed by that. Um, isn't it isn't it um, it's it's uh, what's the word I'm trying to think of? It's because I used to uh, my previous life. I was a. I was an HR guy. I did leadership development training and things like that. And I've had people come up to me and say how grateful they were for me helping them in her career. There's no, there's almost no greater feeling than that. Is there? I mean, yeah, it's wonderful. You know, my teaching business is just that a business and I do it for, for the revenue, uh, primarily. But when someone come, in fact, I had a student that I work with here. She said, Hey, I booked a movie based on one of the auditions that you and I worked on, but this particular movie they needed such a quick turnaround that I, I wasn't able to record something. So I just sent them one of the things that we worked on and they booked me off of the strength of that. Wow. So she was like, thank you so much. Yeah. Um, and so well, when, when somebody calls or somebody sends me a message and says, hey, I booked this thing we worked mm -hmm. on or I felt great uh, going into this audition. I had one young lady who worked with me for quite some time and she finally had the opportunity to go in and audition for one of the local casting directors having never been in there having never had the opportunity and she said when I walked in I felt completely comfortable because we did in that room what you and I worked on all the time yeah. that's there's no better feeling as you said than that 
And and truth be told, look, the one major SAG role that uh, that I scored on a TV series was uh, due in no small part to this gentleman who's our guest today. I don't know if you recall, Jim, but you had helped me with the uh, the self-tape for Queen Sugar that I ended up booking. So I, I, I can speak from personal experience that oh. you've been a, a big help. Oh, thank you. I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the last cue that we're going to play, and I saved it for last because it's one of my favorites, and as my listening audience will no doubt know, uh, it's so obvious that, that I, uh, I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of John Barry, and I just love his music. And you chose a really interesting one because it's, you know, it was a, it was, it was mildly successful when it came out, and. Uh, but it's not one that people will necessarily go back to for the music. But I think you're spot on what you had said earlier. Uh, the film we're talking about is uh, Peggy Sue Gets Married. Um, I'd like to hear, again, if you don't mind, kind of sharing your thoughts on uh, on why you would choose that to be amongst your favorites. Uh, it's a fun movie. Uh, I like the premise. I think that uh, Kathleen um, Turner. Mm-hmm does a very good job in that movie. Um, and, you know, in essentially in the movie, uh, the, it's a, again, another situation where relationships are strained or broken. And when she goes back in time in her mind, or is it not? That's what I, I think about <laughs> that movie. They never resolve whether it's real or, 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 or not. Right. But, um, but she remembers things that are important to her. And coincidence, it's just it's just occurred to me, the 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 actress that played her daughter in that movie is Helen Hunt. Oh, that's right. Her career. That's right. But um, mm-hmm. and you know uh, part of the and and part of the themes. One of the themes of the movie is loss. And, uh, you know, and she goes back in time and remembers her great relationship with her grandfather and specifically when her grandfather uh, and his supernatural Elks Lodge or whatever they are, <laughs> yeah. uh, make it possible for her to return. They play this theme and they play this theme throughout the throughout the movie when uh, there's a sense of loss. And I think that the, the music is so poignant. And the way it's structured, you don't have to see the movie to hear that and think this is a, there's a sadness in this music that says it's a, to me a sadness of loss. Yeah, it really helps uh, to communicate what's what's going on internally. I think with the people on screen, it's not mm-hmm. it's not music that's trying to mirror the action that you're seeing or what you're seeing. It's more it's more internal, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the from the character standpoint, I think that's one of the reasons why it works, and it's one of my favorites as well. Yeah. Um, this is I'm trying to remember now. I think it essentially ends up being the end titles on this. I think it's a uh, the cue on the CD is called Charlie. I had the strangest dream, but um, mm-hmm. it's basically the end titles that incorporate several of the different themes throughout the movie. And this is uh, from the film Peggy Sue Gets Married, and it's written by uh, my favorite composer sorry i you know i had no i had uh, no influence on this uh by john barry let's have a listen (laughs) 
Well, as we kind of wrap up, I'm I'm curious um, how you see the uh, the future for the film and TV industry here in Louisiana because it has bumped up quite a bit, and uh, you know they've got some other tax credits in place. Maybe just kind of talk to us about how where you see the industry going here in the future. Well, I think that <laughs> you know comparatively, as you look at the southeastern U.S. where there's a lot of film activity, New Orleans is a relatively small city. Um, I've been to Los, I've been to uh, Atlanta to work, and it's just giant and sprawling and spread wow. out. And New Orleans, I think, has a charm of its own, and people like to come here anyway. And I think that there is a draw for that reason alone. Plus, there is a film infrastructure here that will support film and television. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when Governor Jindal, the previous governor, changed the tax incentive. Uh, He changed the law and he changed the way that these filmmakers could redeem their credits. And there was a perception and there was a hundred eighty million dollar cap. The truth be told, in the 13 years prior to this, that the incentive program had existed, they only exceeded the cap twice. So it wasn't like. It was a real problem. The cap was not the problem. It was the way they were asked to redeem the credits. That filmmakers said, wait, there's no stability here. I can't trust these Louisiana lawmakers. Where can we go instead that we can we can, you know, it'll make it more cost effective and uh, stable. And they went to mostly to Atlanta. Well, the new governor came in, saw what the problem was. Actually, the cap is lower under the new legislation. But the manner in which these filmmakers are able to and this is my understanding the manner in which these filmmakers are able to redeem their tax credits is now stable. So it's really not a, a question of a cap. It's more a question of where's the stability in this in this program. And so they changed that in 2017, 2018, and the film industry started to come back last year. It's come back even stronger this year. Mm. And I predict and there's a lot of more like, for instance, Queen of the South moved from Texas to here. Um I worked on a pilot for uh, the Disney Channel, which is expected to go. And so we're going to have like six or eight series that are shooting here on a regular basis. Um, NCIS New Orleans has stood the test of time. Uh, Queen Sugar, which you and I both were. I just You worked on it before I did, Frankie. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I just worked on that too long ago. But that's a, that's a, a show that shoots here. Claws is one. Right. So there are, show, there are series that are thriving here, and I think it's going to grow. Um, so I, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, greater opportunity and greater uh, business here. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm excited about it, too. It looks like that they're not only stability, uh, stability, but predictability, I think, was the other thing that they were, you know, and reliability or kind of words that I would think of that are going to continue to attract people. Because it is a it's a great the infrastructure is strong. There's there's plenty of interesting locations that can uh, fit their needs and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's I think it's going to continue to continue to grow, and we can certainly hope so. Jim, listen, listen, you've been extremely generous with your time. Um, I've thoroughly enjoyed talking with you about uh, about your career and about your your music choices for film scores. Uh, and you know, just to publicly once again say thank you for your help to me. I, I hope we get a chance to, and I get a chance to work with you more in the future either uh, as a student or hopefully as like a co-star or something so right that'd be uh, fun 
Yeah, listen, Mike, thanks again for your time. Really appreciate it. It's uh, It's been a really interesting discussion. I hope you've enjoyed it. I have indeed. I, you know, uh, I am passionate about music, uh, both popular music and then, um, and then film scores. And when I knew you did this, I was like picking my choices and I thought, he's going to think I'm a... Uh, a novice, or he's not going to be very impressed by my, my, my choices. Oh, no. I'm glad no, they made no. a good impression. <laughs> no, no. And there were some that you had on your list that we weren't able to get to, but uh, but no, it was a it was a fabulous list, and I think our listeners probably enjoyed hearing them as well. Well, again, my, uh, my thanks to our guest, Jim Gleason. That's going to wrap it up for this episode of What's the Score? Uh, there's only, thing, only one thing left to say, and that's simply this. My name is Frank Wilson. My time's up. I thank you for yours. Thanks for listening to What's the Score?